All right, so before I get carried away with Super Bowl talk, I have an important podcast announcement to make. This is the last, final episode of How Your World Works. But don't be sad. We're not really going away. We're just joining forces with our sister show, The Most Useful Podcast Ever. It's going to be one big popular mechanics podcast extravaganza. Chock full of tips, how-tos, random and surprisingly useful facts, and incredibly smart, interesting guests. But here's the most important thing. You need to subscribe to the most useful podcast ever to get it. So if you're subscribed right now to How Your World Works, take a moment. Seriously, do this right now. Take a moment. Go to the iTunes store. Open your podcast app, whatever you use, and subscribe to the most useful podcast ever. Okay? Subscribe to the most useful podcast ever. All right. That's the announcement. On to the show. So today, me and James Lynch are talking with Rich Russo and Richie Zions from Fox NFL, the Super Bowl's director and producer. They're the guys that are in charge of your entire experience of watching this game. Which camera angles you see, what kind of music gets played up, whose face in the agony of defeat is the first thing you see when the clock strikes zero. We talked to them for the first time during the regular season, just about producing games in general, but then we checked back in with them just a couple of days ago uh, to find out what they're looking forward to now that the Super Bowl matchup is set. So stay tuned for that at the end. But all of this talk with them made me realize I had something I needed to ask James about. Uh, so James, do you know where you're watching the Super Bowl yet? I have not picked a place yet. I imagine it'll just be in my buddy's living room. Or Super Bowl seems like a special enough occasion to actually go to a bar or someplace with a really big TV. Yeah, a special a special occasion. You go to a bar, obviously. Yeah. So I've been one. Okay, so we talked to these guys from Fox NFL a few months ago. Talked to them again today, and I realized that uh, the whole time there's something important I should have asked you, which is. Um, your favorite team has sort of a sorted Super Bowl history. A little bit, a little bit sorted. My my Buffalo Bills. Yeah, yeah, a little tough. Uh, what happened to them? Just, just for the for the people listening, well, who don't know. I mean, one of the greatest achievements in sports, making it to the championship four years in a row. Never, never repeated. I don't think it ever will be repeated. Jim Kelly, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I agree. It's not going to be reported. It's repeated. not going to be repeated. I totally I, agree. I, I don't. Like, the thing that's crazy is you look at these teams. Like, look at the Broncos who were, you know, with the lifeless body of Peyton Manning, were an incredible team last year. Yeah. And they just got rocked this year. I mean, not rocked. Like, their defense is still great. But these teams don't hold on to players anymore. They don't have that... Uh, There's no continuity. Exactly. There used to be. Well, I mean, then you got the Patriots. But, like, not four years in a row. Like, right. Like, year after year after year. It's, ve- it's much harder to be that good yeah. over and over again. Yeah. Well, so here's my question. Okay. Those... I guess what maybe the last one or two of those were when you were like a baby. But have you gone yeah. back and like watched them on ESPN Classic or whatever you guys watch those things on out in Rochester? Um, I have not actually. I've not watched the games. It's kind of one of those things I think where you know like the lore is there. Everyone knows it's there. But why yeah. am I going to sit down and you know watch a whole game knowing that Scott Norwood's going to miss the wide right? You know, I, I just don't need to do that. The ESPN Thirty for Thirty though, Four Falls of Buffalo. For anyone who's not a Bills fan, really suggest it because I feel it really captures being a Bills fan. And I have a bunch of <laughs> friends whose dads were in Rochester, Buffalo area during all that. And we're like in the thick of it. And a bunch of these guys, apparently, the first time they watched it, cried. Like, <laughs> it was just a big time. So here's the, here's the, the thing I've been trying to lead to is, um, you know, that was in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. There were obviously game producers and game directors because it was a televised sport, but I'm sure it wasn't as sophisticated as it, is, sure. as it is now. As painful as it must have been for like your dad and your buddy's dads to see those losses four times in a row, 
Do you think it would be even harder if the game was produced the way it is now? Like we just we talked to these guys about how they play up these emotional moments and followed storylines so closely, and they have so many cameras to know like which face to zoom in on when something terrible or amazing happens. Do you think it would make it even more crushing? Yeah, I think probably. I mean, you're getting high definition shots of just looks of horror on people's faces, <laughs> or just the analysis of like the arc of the kick and all that. And the other thing is social media. I. You know, you feel like for the next week you're going to be reading tweets that are just close-ups of, you know, Scott Norwood's face crying in a in a parking lot somewhere. <laughs> like, you know these things are going to pop up left and right. So I think I'd rather be a fan of a losing team in the 90s than right now. Well, that, I say that as a fan of one of the most losing teams, but hey, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, in which case, maybe it's better the Bills aren't in the Super Bowl this year. I will never say that. So for today's show, we have two guests from Fox NFL. Uh, guys, you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> I'm, uh, my name's Rich Russo, and I am the director of, uh, of the game on NFL on Fox, the lead director. Richie Zients, uh, producing the lead game for Fox. I figured with two Riches, I wasn't going to try and wade into that myself. You can go Russo you can go and Russo Z. Z. Russo and Z. All right, Russo I like Z. that. We've also got James Lynch here joining me today. Yes, sir. So maybe you guys can each describe uh, producer versus director. I don't think a lot of people are going to be familiar with what the sort of profile of each of those jobs is. Well, it's certainly different than movies would be because in, uh, in television, especially sports television, uh, Russo as the director, he controls all the live pictures. So he's in contact with his cameraman. In a, in a layman sense, I would be in charge of what happens between plays in terms of replays, editorial. We both have the ability to talk to the announcers in their headsets, and we both have the ability to talk to everybody on the crew. So everything kind of gets filtered through us. We work in tandem. We know each other well. We've worked together for 30 years in different capacities at different networks. And uh, so we just try to make it all, it's organized chaos, and we try to make it all smooth so when you're sitting at home, you have no idea what's going on. So with, with that much experience between you, is it uh, like it's similar to uh, an athlete on the field and that you have a certain sort of chemistry between the two of you that you don't communicate as much as you did necessarily at the start? I think that's a great point. I mean, there's, it, there's no question what we do is instinctive. So you have to be able to react. And I think the, you have to really be able to listen. So like for myself and, you know, Richie's, you know, listening to the announcers. I'm listening to Richie, uh, you know, knowing what replays maybe, you know, we want to use at that moment. But yeah, a lot of it is knowing each other, knowing what I know, what pictures he knows is, is good, you know, good. And I, we, we think the same way a lot of times in that regard. It's a constant flurry of shorthand communication. I will have the seven or eight guys in my headset selling me replays in addition to me. So I can talk to them. They talk to me. Everything is in shorthand. It's, it's making lots of decisions in very brief periods of time. So if you have ADD, it's fantastic because it's multitasking for three hours. And we come up, there's a camera plan going into each game. So based on all kinds of situations. So every camera has a certain assignment. And that camera goes into a respective uh, replay machine, which is being recorded, which can play back for, for replay. Um, and it's all different situations. If it's, you know, two wide receivers, three wide receivers, if it's, um, you know, red zone, all, you go, we kind of, we go through all the different scenarios where certain camera guys have certain responsibilities. So we know exactly where you know, where those, uh, those shots could fall. So, so when I'm looking into the replay monitors, we kind of know what's supposed to be where. We know this receiver is going to be over here. This guy's over here. We have the cable camera over here. Everything is sort of set. So there's a pattern. 
and then it's, it's up to me to decide, okay, what's my sequence of shots working with Troy Aikman, okay? And it happens fast. And because these machines can record and play back at the same time, I can be in Troy's ear saying, you want to go with this before the play's even over. So we have our pattern. We know. We know where we want to go. So can, can Troy Aikman request a replay as well? All the time. All the time. And, and, uh, and it goes both ways. You know, he'll, he'll <coughs> ask for things. I'll suggest things. Mm-hmm. It's that way all game. And it's up, to, it's up to me to decide, you know, if we have a difference of opinion, which way to go. But it's, it makes a lot of sense to err on the side of Aikman. And yeah. if the, if it's got to be fun to overrule a Super Bowl winner sometimes, though, right? Yes, especially a three-time Super Bowl winner. <laughs> yeah. And if there's a certain player that maybe, you know, Troy or Richie, we're all thinking about we want to what's called isolate or focus on, then I'll make sure I get a certain camera to that player to, so we're focusing on that, on that specific player. And each, you know, cameraman has a res, you know, responsibility. Some of it is a specific receiver, what I call isolation. Some of it, you get those tight pictures, those tight faces, uh, with those big lenses that whether it's a quarterback, whether it's a lineman, that type of thing. So, so I have to make sure that those camera guys are, are shooting that way and shooting the right players at the right moments of the game. Um, and then for whether they're live pictures, which I'm responsible, or the replays, which Richie will, will call. I was wondering, in terms of preparation, I mean, how much are you guys thinking about, like, storylines that you want to follow ahead of the game, like somebody coming back from a big injury or somebody who's been hot lately? I mean, how much how much time do you guys spend thinking, like, okay, here's the players that we're probably going to want to pay close attention to this week? First of all, I think it's uh, it's really important to know both teams, you know, and I think we all read a lot constantly on both teams uh, all during the week. I mean, that's kind of, that's part of the preparation. It's a combination of that, you know, maybe on a Saturday we're watching film with Troy, and he may see, you know, he may see maybe it's a quarterback, uh, you know, something with what the quarterback does. Maybe he looks one way, that type of thing. A lot of it is just conversation. A lot of it is just us talking football. I know myself, I, I'm personally always jotting down things during the week. So in my mind, I can think, you know what, that's probably a picture that I'll probably want to get during the course of the game. But, you know, you have your preconceived certain pictures and storylines going into a game, but you can never format a live game. The most important thing is you have to react. So everybody takes their notes and they, they tape it down on the console and they can refer to it during commercials about maybe storylines you wanted to do going in. But a lot of times it doesn't play. The game takes you somewhere else. And so the best broadcasts are the ones that adjust to what's happening on the field. And it's all rhythm. You know, the game is all rhythm. The teams, it's all about rhythm. And for the broadcast, it's all about rhythm too. And the best broadcasts are when the rhythm inside the truck and in the booth kind of corresponds with the rhythm on the field. Does your broadcast style change as the score changes? Are you, are you less on if it's a close game? Are you pushing more storyline if it's a blowout? We did a Super Bowl a few years ago here in New York and, and Denver and Seattle, and that game was over before we even basically you know, sat down. And uh, the Super Bowl is a little bit different. It's a little bit different, but on a weekly basis, a blowout means you don't have to do X's and O's constantly. You still have to tell stories. It's still a visual medium. You still want to get really good pictures on TV, but maybe you pull back a little bit from the actual X's nose, the inside football stuff, because it kind of doesn't really matter after a while. I mean, it does to the teams, to the fans of those teams, but there is an adjustment you need to make based on the score of the game. And I remember this, you know, this talk about the Super Bowl. I remember it was 22 nothing and a half. 
And I remember the opening kickoff that second half, Percy Harvin ran back a touchdown. I because I, before that, I think I turned to Richie. I said, "Well, maybe we'll have the you know one of the you know the top comebacks in Super Bowl history." And then I he, he ran back <laughs> that touchdown. I turned to him. I said, "Maybe not. <laughs> you know, maybe we won't." But it's true. I mean, you still have to because it really is still about the pictures. But maybe it's more feature type stories and a type of blowout. But you have to you know keep the audience. No question about it. You know, the announcers always have all this stuff. They they over prepare. And a lot of times the games don't allow you to get all that stuff in. When the score is 42 to 7, <laughs> you have an opportunity to get all that stuff in. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense that you sort of are adjusting and adapting. That being said, are there certain coaches or players that you guys that make for good TV? I mean, kind of the way that, you know, movie directors get attached to working with certain actors. Are there <laughs> guys that you guys really like? Well, I'll tell you, you always know the coaches, like on Sundays, okay? You always know the coaches that are more animated than other coaches. You know, with, with me and the live pictures, you do want to be balanced amongst both teams. So going in, you know, you kind of know the coaches that are going to, you know, be animated. So, But you, you have to watch that, you know, because obviously those are the coaches that give you best picture. You know, Coughlin was great. Coughlin would always turn red, you know, and whether it's cold weather. And that's always a great picture. But at some point, and, and we laugh because he, he always tells me, you know, during the course of the game, Sometimes we go play to play to play, and sometimes you may lose sight of the big picture. But he'll even say, hey, you know what? Maybe you're too so-and-so heavy, or, you know, maybe you're too hmm. whoever, you know, too Coughlin heavy in that situation. And, you know, all the time he, he's right. So you got to be cognizant of that because, you know, going in. Because a lot of times it's the bummage coach or the, you know, the, that negative coach is usually a better picture. But you do have to know that going into a game, who are the emotional guys and who aren't. You, you fall in love with the guys that give you good pictures. There are certain players who are sort of like the troublemakers who come off the field and they're angry and they're upset and they show their emotions and they throw their helmets and they, they stomp around. And cameras follow them. I mean, cameras know which guys are the ones that are going to give you the best pictures. So we have to be careful to show it, to document it, but not to overdo it. And it's true. Certain players are just going to dictate that. You know, we, you get an Odell Beckham. You know, we did the Carolina Giant game, you know, when, when all that happened with he and Norman. Now, obviously, that was a story going into the game. Um, but then we just do the Redskin game, and we, we, we get a shot of Beckham, you know, hitting the kicking tee. Well, that's obviously, you kind of know it's a story. So I'm thinking of a, I'm a big Buffalo Bills fan. I was watching a game a couple weeks ago, and on the live broadcast, there was a shot of Tyrod Taylor using mouthwash on the sidelines. So when you see something like that, is that something that you're – like, when do you decide, to, yeah, let's cut to that, that's fun, and when are you deciding to stick with a more serious game coverage? Well, I think you have to, it's a great picture. I didn't see it. Sounds like a great picture. It's certainly something that we'd want to put on TV. And you want to make sure that it's acknowledged. It's not the kind of shot that can just gets jammed in before the snap of a ball and not have any sort of acknowledgement by the announcers. So that might be a situation where we save it, and we bring it back as a replay, and then it kind of it magnifies and amplifies the picture a little bit more and gives the announcers a chance to have fun with it. But either way, live or on tape, great picture. This is changing gears a little bit, but how much – you guys have both been doing this for a long time. How much has it changed in the time you've been doing it? When I started producing games, probably in the late 1980s, I did games with four cameras and two tape machines. So we had two looks to give you and four cameras – now we're doing games with 15 cameras, and every camera basically has a replay attached to it. It's so different. Access was so different. 
there were no meetings with players and coaches when I first started in this business. There just wasn't until John Madden came along as a former coach and decided that we should prepare like teams prepare. And that changed everything in the business of covering football on TV. Started having meetings, going to practices, preparing, looking at film. It's, uh, it's an amazing change. However, it's still communicating on TV. It's still telling stories. Mm-hmm. It's still communication. That hasn't changed. That mentality of preparation came from John Madden? John Madden changed everything about how football is covered on TV. He is the godfather of coverage. He also, uh, if you took his tree, you know, his, uh, we all came from him at every network. The guys who do CBS's lead game were with John. Russo and I, we were with John. He worked at NBC with the guys who are now doing the, that game. He, uh, everybody learned from John Madden. You guys do know who John Madden is, right? Oh, yeah, okay. no. I, my dad was a big Raiders fan, You look Raiders fucking fan stupid too. over big there. Raiders. Just staring at me. Like, you know no, my, my, dad, my dad was a huge Raiders fan, and I mean, obviously, right. we watched John Madden growing up. But uh, no, that's, just, that's interesting, because I never thought about the fact that announcers you know, weren't coaches or players once upon a time, or former players, and just how much that would change the mentality with which these guys are watching and thinking about the game. I, well, I think if, it, okay. if you went back to the 1970s, I think uh, sports television was get into town, have a couple of drinks, have a long dinner, go to the game on Sunday, travel in on Saturday. After John Madden got involved, it was a 10-Friday practice. It was meet with players and coaches. It was watch film. It was Saturday, go to the visiting team's hotel, meet with their players and coaches, spend a lot of time with your crew, and, and do a game on Sunday. Totally different. And John would teach the game of football in a, you know, in a meeting room the way he wanted to present it, the way he wanted to see it on television. And that's, you know, that's all part of the preparation. The biggest challenge is the pace of the game. Teams play so fast that television has to adjust. And it's been painful at times because you can't do what you want to do. You don't have the benefit of a huddle. You have to rush. So a really positive virtue to have in a television truck now is patience because you don't have to rush there might have been a big play you'll get an opportunity to revisit it just down the road don't force it in you can't miss snaps you can't miss live action you have to be patient the game will the game will come back to you and I also marvel at some of our camera guys I mean when you see some of these quarterbacks how they bootleg or how they roll or how they fake a lot of times the defenses are faked out a lot of times the defenses are completely drawn away, but it's amazing that the camera guys, you know, for the most part, can stay with the play. Um, and those are just little things that I think people just take it for granted, you know. But they have to react just in a sense how a team has to react to any given, you know, any given play. It's the same thing I was talking about isolations with receivers. You know, you, you have to, you have to make sure, like I'm a, I have to make sure that the framing is right for a specific receiver and cornerback and safety and making sure we're showing that, whether it's Des Bryant or whether it's Odell Beckham, you know, if they're rolling coverage to, to his side, whether it's a safety, that framing has to be accurate, has to be like almost a three shot so we can show it on TV. I'll give you an example of a thought process. Aaron Rodgers comes to the line. He's very animated. He's calling out signals. His head's looking sideways to see who's lined up in the right place. And now he throws a long pass downfield. 
There's a real good pass rush, and he gets hit after he le- releases the ball. The receiver catches it down the sideline. Did he get his feet in bounds? Did he hold on to the ball? We're not sure. Now Aaron Rodgers is rushing up to the line of scrimmage for the next play, and now I've got a bunch of things I want to show. First, I have to establish, did he catch the ball? Troy Aikman is into my ear going, that was a great route he just ran. And I have to say to Troy, let's establish that he caught the ball first. And then I want to be able to show maybe Aaron gesticulating at the line of scrimmage, getting pointing and getting people lined up. I want to show the pressure on the quarterback. And meanwhile, on the other side of the field, a receiver got knocked off his route, and it might have been a penalty. So, I, you know, there's like six things, okay? So those are the things we're confronted with constantly. You know, what do you do? How do you process it? What do you show? What's the priority? Well, in that case, did he get his feet in? Did he catch the ball? Everything else is secondary. And he can go back and revisit everything else. You'll have time. Right. I think that's the biggest thing. What, what's the most important thing for the viewer? And like Richie said, at that particular point in time, it's whether he got his feet in or out of bounds. Because I mean, that's what they're going to review. That's why Aaron Rodgers was rushing up to the line yeah. to do a to, to quick snap. Not necessarily if he got hit, but you know whether his feet were inbounds or out of bounds. Is there a risk of being too much of a fan when you're producing a broadcast? No, because we really don't even think about it. We don't have time. I don't even think I could tell you the final score ever of a game. You're just so in, you're just so involved with it. Now the only thing that gets a little distracting is fantasy football. That's very true. <laughs> because we all have ADD, and, and yeah. that, that is very distracting. So we have to kind of overcome that. And, um, and sometimes it's hard to overcome. <laughs> now, there were, you know, in the early days of television, there were guys who gambled. And, and there was one famous director at ABC who was an inveterate gambler. And God knows what working games with him was like. You know what? We shouldn't use this. Forget it. <laughs> but it's true you can't even you can't even think about that yeah you know now you, you no. we're doing our job and you know we want to make sure all the pictures get on and and you can't even really you know really think about that at all yeah. you know the one thing i'll say too is how you were asking how it changes you know technology has changed also you know from years and years ago i mean we're constantly you know looking at you know new ways to you know you bring you want to bring the viewer closer to to the action so what technological innovation are you hoping for or looking forward to in your coverage of football games uh, as far as drones or tracking players or? I think, and I think they've actually talked about this. You know, one of the things, and we were talking about this last week, I think there should, I, was, I would love to, them to be a chip on the football, for example. You I know, can't what, believe there's not. You yeah. know, whether if that can enhance or that can help, and I think they've talked about it, whether, you know, a player crossed the goal line or because a lot of times you have these, you know, a lot of bodies are, are in the way and it's, it's really sometimes hard. It's hard for the officials. Right. Yeah. And when you get a play, a lot of it is, you know, it, it's based on where the cameras are in relation to the respect, you know, to the play. So it would be kind of neat for, for, for that to, you know, something like that to, to come about at some point. Yeah. When you, so you said, so, okay, so you said, you know, when you started four cameras, now you've got like 15. When you do the Super Bowl, does the complexity ratchet up again? I mean, are you guys going to have new toys when you're doing the Super Bowl? Well, I, I think, and I think Richie would, would completely agree. I mean, for, for a Sunday game, we have roughly like 20 cameras. 16 of those are for coverage, you know, and, and 20, the other four are, are not non-coverage cameras. And, yeah, we'll ramp up for the Super Bowl, and we'll have, you know, roughly 50 or over 50 cameras. Maybe, you know, 38 or 40 of those are for coverage. But I think the big thing is, as you get into postseason, as you get into the Super Bowl, you add – effectively you know you add the right way you can't just go into the biggest game not having seen all this equipment if any director 
tells you that they can see 50 monitors at once, they're full of shit. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you know, seriously, you know what your base is and then you know how, to, how you're adding accordingly. So I think, yeah, we do add as the postseason comes, <coughs> we add as the Super Bowl comes, but we'll just add different cameras for different situations that are on the field, whether it's goal line, whether it's sideline, you know, cameras, that type of thing. Um, we both wanted to ask at some point, maybe this is a good time as any, uh, about the robot. Cletus. They uh, tell me the kids love it. <laughs> yeah. Old guys like me have no use for them. Yeah, I think that's what they say. The younger generation likes it, but... What do you guys think? What do you... Do you like it? I would say... That means I'm, no. pu I'm puzzled. I don't know. That's well. This is popular mechanics. I mean, I figured this would be right up your alley. No. Well, I mean, that's why we had to ask about it. But uh, I think I think Cletus is a clever name. It's a great name. Um, didn't you say your friends had Twitter? My, wars well, my with friends Cletus? got in a Twitter battle with Cletus one time, and t Cletus said some things. Don't hey, Let me tell you something. Don't, don't associate. Mess, well, don't mess don't with mess Cletus. With Cletus. Yeah. <laughs> because. Uh, Russo and I will be fired long before they get rid of Cletus. That's I'll right. That. That's right. Um, I had another random question. Uh, why, why, did a, why did a blimp become the way to do overhead shots? And is that going to change ever? Is it going to be a drone sometime, or is the blimp still just like kind of too iconic now? I think the drone is just kind of a you know, work in progress. I, I, I mean, I don't know if it'll ever get to that point. I know they're you know, concerned about safety. Um, you know, we don't really have, like blimps, we don't really use them during the regular season. You know, we'll occasionally, as we get later in the year, we'll, we'll use a, a blimp. Um, but it just can cover such a great area. You know, it really can. Um, a lot of it is, a, you, know, you know, this as well. But Yeah. So. Blimps changed a lot. Let me put it this way. Aerial coverage changed a lot after 9-11. And the, the, um, the FAA had much stricter regulations in terms of access over stadiums. But there's a sales component to having a blimp and a lot of times networks get use of it free right Bruce? yeah that's exactly that's right that's accurate so it's really on a game by game situation that's not one of our allotted cameras every week you know that we mm -hmm. use but it can be a pretty cool yeah. looking shot it may i think uh when you have an aerial shot of a full stadium whatever sport it might be it creates a bigness to the event are you controlling it all with the ref c or is there a whole nother production team shooting video to the refs they see what we have they don't have anything more than what we show them. They're, they're, they're incumbent upon our pictures. And uh, anytime there's something to review, uh, usually there's a commercial, and we're showing them everything we have, and they make a decision based on the pictures that we show them. That's a lot of power. It's a lot of power, and we wield it well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we recorded that conversation during the regular season. But once a Super Bowl matchup was set, we decided to get back on the phone with Z and Russo just to ask what they're looking forward to for this big game between the Pats and the Falcons. You know, Z, Russo, we talked to you guys. We recorded our conversation a couple months ago, um, but now the matchup for the Super Bowl is set. We're about a week away, and we just want to check back in and find out what are the storylines you guys are watching for as you're preparing this week. You know, we're looking at some game, you know, New England games. Um, some old New England games, Atlanta. We've you know we've had and we've you know we've covered. Uh, so we'll go back and look at New England from obviously the playoffs and you know basically look at game basically look at the pacing of play. For example, you know with New England, uh, the speed at which they play, uh, which obviously can affect a lot of what we do. Um, you know just going through various storylines. Uh, you know Atlanta we've covered, so we we, we know Atlanta. 
uh, you know, pretty well in their offense. Um, and, you know, next week we'll obviously get to the site, you know, on Monday, and we'll have meetings with, you know, our announcers with Joe, Troy, and Aaron, and Chris, and we'll, you know, meet, you know, talk to players and coaches, and, and you know, storylines will develop, uh, you know, based on our meetings uh, next week as well. Yeah, right now there's information overload. I mean, there's only one game left. There's a million things to read about, <laughs> which is all great. It's all well and great. But then a game starts, and you have to react to what the game uh, tells you to do. So, really, the work starts next week. We have Wednesday and Thursday. We spend Wednesday with the uh, Patriots. We go to their practice. Like Russo said, we have meetings. We do the same thing with uh, Atlanta on Thursday. Uh, we also have various responsibilities with the league to rehearse uh, uh, various elements of the pregame show and staging elements of the pregame show. So next week is busy, but uh, just like you see the players talk about, it's 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 big, it's different, it's huge, it's the Super Bowl. But once the ball is kicked off, it's it's just another football game, <laughs> and you just have to you have to approach it the same way you do every every week. So when do you guys get the chance to get in there and actually start setting up? Are you already, you know, getting the process started at NRG, or does that start next week? The technical crew is there now. Oh, really? So our trucks basically, you know, they left from Atlanta. They went from Atlanta to Houston. So they're, uh, you know, they're all in the process of setting up uh, as we speak now, this week, yes. That's, that's the real challenge operationally is what, the technical side has to go through, not so much what we have to go through, because they have so much integration between the numbers of trucks and the amount of programming that comes out of Houston between shows they do all week and shows at the stadium and pregame shows. So uh, one thing I was wondering is, you know, there's all kind of the there's the Tom Brady and Matt Ryan, the, the key players, the, the marquee um, storylines, but who are the, you know, who are the assistant coaches or the lesser-known players that you guys are, are excited to follow? Well, I think for Atlanta, it's, it's a little bit of introducing a broader audience to a team maybe a lot of people don't know much about. and They, they offer up a lot of young players that are, that are really terrific. That are not household names on defense. They have a bunch of young players, uh, you know, Beasley and Deion Jones and a lot of these guys that uh, – Gosh, they're like second-year players, rookies, and, and, and we'll see how they do against this team that's been there forever. Is that exciting for you guys to feel like you're introducing, you know, the country to these new these new players, kind of blooming superstars? Well, I think it's the players are going to introduce themselves based on how they play. <laughs> Again, it's easy for me to say this now, a week before the game, but you know they have to play well, <laughs> and then and then they'll get their their moment in the sun. But I think having a fresh team in the Super Bowl is, is, is a good thing. I know the consensus was, gosh, you know, we hope Dallas gets there. Wouldn't Dallas against New England be terrific? And it probably would have been. But this Atlanta team is exciting. They're fun. They score points. They go up and down. They have a coach who's fiery and very and very engaging to sit down with. And, and I think that this, this is a team that will show itself very well. And even when you get to someone like New England, you know, even a, like a player like Chris Hogan, who obviously came out last, you know, had an incredible game last uh, last week. You know, kid who didn't play football in college, a kid who went to Monmouth, and you know, next thing you know, he's breaking records, postseason uh, records. Mm-hmm. So it is true. You, you see some of these, you know, the new kids, and you see how they can, you know, perform in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, we're, we're, 
really looking forward to it. But as he said, it really is actually obviously about the players. I mean, they're the ones who have to, you know, have to perform, and we're obviously going to follow the storylines. Yeah, so with this being a young team, and for Atlanta as a franchise, I don't believe they've won a Super Bowl before. Do you guys already have in mind an idea of what the shot is if you know the clock ticks down to zero and Atlanta's won their first Super Bowl with this young team? And, and end-of-game situations are a scenario that we would talk about, Russo and I. We would say, okay, we know that if Atlanta wins, chances are you know you're going to want to see the coach and the quarterback. But there might be a few subtle people that would be worth a picture, like a guy like Alex Mack, the center, who Go Bears. spent his whole career losing on the Cleveland Browns, and now he's winning a Super Bowl with Atlanta in his first year. Or an old veteran like uh, Dwight Freeney, who won a Super Bowl with the Colts and you know, almost got there last year with Arizona, and, and this could be his last hurrah, winning a Super Bowl with Atlanta. So... How do you balance shooting the celebration and the dejection afterwards? Is there a, a storyline you're trying to achieve there or up and down you're trying to achieve, or is it just people that are giving you a lot of emotion, a lot of big reactions that look good on TV at that time? I think there's a, there's a fine line. I think obviously you want to capture both, but as, as Z would tell you too, so often you know the best picture is right in front of you. So you don't want to leave a great shot and go somewhere else where the great shot is literally right in front of you. Um, just one last question. I'm, I'm curious if we're going to see a lot of shots of Roger Goodell in the audience. Are you trying to bet the over? <laughs> 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 yeah, it is a prop, it is a prop bet. I mean, we, can't, we can't reveal a plan there because you know, it's <laughs> trading. <laughs> All right. That's our show. Last Higher World Works ever in the can. This was produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Jesse Wright Mendoza. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. We'd still sure love to see any comments on iTunes, but more importantly, get on there and subscribe to the most useful podcast ever, as I've said now 111 times during this episode. If you like what we do, visit our show's homepage, popularmechanics.com slash podcasts. And don't forget that at popularmechanics.com, you can read everything that we do and subscribe to our magazine, both print and digital editions, for only $13.99 for one year. I'm Kevin Dupsick, and as always, thanks for listening.